Hello, I'm Mike Browning. Welcome to Let God Speak. The human heart is restless without God and there is no peace. In the scriptures today, we want to identify those things that come between us and God. Well, folks, on our panel today, we have Adrian Craig and Terry Johnson. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today on Let God Speak. Uh, We want to pray before we open the scriptures today, folks, so we're going to invite everyone to join us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of opening the scriptures today. And I'm trying to understand by your grace, your message to us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will lead our discussion and touch everybody's heart who's tuning into this program today, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the saying is, united we stand, divided we fall. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And it's not surprising that Jesus prayed very earnestly for unity amongst his followers, which makes the statement I want to read now somewhat confusing for some people. And I'd like to invite everyone to turn to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34 down to verse, say, 36 and beyond. Verse 34 says this. This is Jesus talking. Do not think that I am come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Um, this is confusing. What did he mean by that, Terry? You know, this is one of the very difficult passages in Scripture where people have actually taken it out of context mm-hmm. an awful lot. But what Jesus was talking about here is that naturally, as you find out about Jesus, as you learn more, as you read more from Scripture, that you are going to be different. And as a result of being different, people are going to have very strong points of view about you. They're not mm-hmm. sure if they, if they like you. They're not sure if they like the fact that you're changing. And Jesus is not saying that he wants division but he's simply saying that it's going to happen because the moment you follow him, things change. Okay, people cannot be ambivalent about Jesus. This is the amazing thing about it all. Um, Okay, continuing with that thought, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, just for a moment, um, a magnificent prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in his life. And it was about him, of course. And it says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And the last title is Prince of Peace, Uh. which is really interesting. Um, So there's no contradiction with this statement about him being the Prince of Peace, Adrian? No, no, no contradiction. You've got two sides to Jesus' uh, behaviour, if you want to put it that way. He's the Prince of Peace. Yes. Uh, but um, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, enmity, conflict between righteousness and uh, unrighteousness was divinely implanted. Mm. I'll put enmity between your seed, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. Mm. Okay. okay. Um, and you've got this illustrated. I mean, chapter 3, you've got the fall, and chapter 4 of Genesis, what happens? Two brothers are at enmity. Because one's righteous and one's unrighteous. Why did he kill him? According to John, he killed him because his own deeds, that is, 
Cain's deeds were, were unrighteous and Abel's were righteous. Okay, so there's a natural enmity there yeah. between and good and evil, yeah. And it's divinely implanted if we read the text correctly, yeah. Genesis 3.15. Okay, thank you for that. Now that's really interesting. Um, this, going back to this thought, to, the, to the, what Jesus actually said about bringing division amongst even family members, um, some people are going to be worried that this is a contradiction mm. um, to the fifth commandment, to honour your father and mother. Um, what's, is this a contradiction, Terry, or not? I don't think so. I, I think that God always wants us to be respectful of our parents, but there yeah. are going to be times when we're going to have a difference of opinion be, based on our understanding of Scripture. And what he's trying to remind us here is that he is more important uh, in terms of our surrender, in terms of who we're following, than our mother and father. Okay, so it's not that the parents are unimportant, just that Jesus is more so. And I thank you for that. That's a good point. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going back to Matthew chapter 10 now and verse 37, where Jesus continues this thought about division. And he says in verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, there's an interesting word here that's being used, and that's the word worthy. Um, according to him, according to Jesus, what makes us worthy, Adrian? Well, I think Jesus is highlighting priority here. He's not saying that um, we ought not to love our parents, but, no. he, but he's saying that um, make sure that I'm, pri I'm the, the worthy one, I'm, I'm the chief one. And, of course, worthiness is a very important concept, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, we're, we're only worthy when we're unworthy. When we sense our unworthiness. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you remember the, uh, the prodigal said, reciting what he was going to say to the father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Mm. And, and stating that, he was now worthy. Okay. Mm. And we're worthy, if we want to go further, we're worthy through the one alone who was worthy, according to Revelation 5. Okay, thank you, Adrian, for that. That's lovely. Um, going on again, still into verse 38 now of Matthew 10. And Jesus says, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of mm. me. Um, taking up the cross, Terry? Yeah, I think it's one of the most painful decisions that you have to make in your life in a good way because you're saying that you want to give up what you were used to doing. And that can be actually quite painful uh, because... It is part of who you are. It's the habit that you have. And what Jesus is saying is that you cannot sit on the fence. You've actually got to make a decision either for him or against him. And the moment that you say that you're for him, then the key to that is self-denial. You're actually surrendering yourself, surrendering all of your desires to God and allowing him to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Remember, that's the greatest battle, isn't it, Mike? Yes. With Martin Luther who said, I do not fear the Pope and all his cardinals. The Pope, I fear, is Pope Martin. <laughs> self, Pope self. That's so true. Um, and as we've said, hardest person I'll ever say no to yeah. is yourself. Yeah, thank you for that and uh, those thoughts. I really appreciate them. I guess it could be extrapolated further by linking the, this particular passage with the yoke in Matthew 11. The yoke and the cross, same thing. Okay, thank you. Yep. Now I'm going to move on here to talk about unity in the family now um, here because unity in the family is very important and, and according to Jesus that can be a problem area. Um, I'm going to read Luke 12 
And I'm going to read a very interesting incident that took place here. Um, Jesus is talking to the crowd and this man speaks up. And in chapter 12 of Luke, verse 13, um, something happens. One from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> right. mm. Now, this isn't, a, this isn't an unknown problem. Um, Inheritances are loaded with potential for family conflict. We all know that. Anyhow, what did Jesus say? Let's read on. Verse 14. He said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, tells them all, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Okay, so what's the real problem here, Adrian? The real problem is going back to the previous comment. The real problem is self and Mm. greed. What Jesus highlighted, didn't he? Beware of covetousness or greed because a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Okay. And we find... The love love of gain. Yeah. And of course, uh, the Bible repeatedly reminds us of the danger of loving money. It does. Yeah, it does. 16 of the 29 parables deal with money and possessions. Wow. One in every six verses, I think it is, in Matthew, Mark and Luke have to deal with money and possessions. Hmm. Rich young ruler, many examples. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, because it's such a problem area, potential for problems. Yeah. Talking about wills just for a moment, um, folks, um, I don't know what people's like, wills are like, but I do know this, that there are so many squabbles after people die, mm. parents die, and... Uh, because they haven't talked their will over with their kids before they die. And I'd like to encourage everyone, um, folks, take the time, talk it over with the family um, before you set your, your will in concrete and make sure there'll be no family conflicts after you're gone. All right, moving on. We just um, might add, Mike, that yes. uh, it has been suggested that the accumulation of things is at an all-time high in, the, in, in, the, in our century. Okay. But so is the emptiness of human life. Right. Thank mm. you, Adrian. That's very true. And thank you. Um, so is there anything inherently wrong then with an inheritance? Let's just mention this for a moment. Um, what do you think, Terry? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with an inheritance. In fact, the Bible tells us that uh, leaving something for your children is actually a very good thing. Okay. So it's not money itself that is bad because money can actually help a struggling family. It's the love of money that is the issue. Right. Okay. Thanks. That makes it very, very clear. Um, I'm still, I'm still in Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read a couple more verses here. Um, he, Jesus tells a parable after the man asked the question about the will. Jesus brings up this parable. It's a really interesting one. Verse chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus spoke a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought to himself, "What shall I do, since I have no room to store all my crops?" I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater ones, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. So he, he would put it down. What would he do then when he had all his new barns full of goods? Well, he says to himself in verse 19, Self, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, Jesus had a message for this man. Verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Um, that's really fascinating to me. Um, summarise for us, Adrian. Can you do that, what he's been trying to say? I think it's what he's saying what Jesus said elsewhere. What should it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mm. There's someone commented, has anybody ever won the world? And what would they do if they got it anyway? 
Right. That's a good point. So this is, re this is a repeated emphasis that Jesus gives. Be, make sure that you don't uh, give priority to earthly things, money. Yes. Um, the key to living is giving. And Jesus illustrated this in John, uh, John 12. Mm -hmm. The seed, the seed that is not planted abides alone. But if you plant it, it brings forth many seeds. So giving, giving is living. Okay, thank you. That's tremendous. And uh, on, you know, the love of money, um, while it may be the root of all evil, on the happiness scale, apart, once you can pay your bills, apparently extra money doesn't increase your happiness at mm. all. Well, we need to say, Mike, that there's nothing wrong with making money. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful talent, but it's what, we, it's what priority we give to it. Okay. Where we put it in the scale of things. Nothing wrong with making money, but everything wrong with making money make you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, good. Um, I'm still going to read on a bit more in Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read now verse 22 and 23, which says, Jesus is saying to his disciples now, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, the body is more than clothing. Now, most Christians who read their Bibles would know that very well, mm. um, but has it made a dent on our consciousness? That's the question. So what is his major point here, Terry? Look, I, I think that Jesus is trying to make sure that we don't become consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that society is currently built is around the consumption of materialistic things. And so people are worried about where they're going to get the basic items of life. But more than that, they're worried about how much luxury they can actually bring into their life. And what Jesus is trying to say is make sure that you're keeping me first in all things, right? Mm -hmm. It's not bad to have those things, but when they become the center of your life, they actually take away your attention from me. And if you read in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, he says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, my son has just graduated uh, from driving school. And he's got his heart set on an Audi uh, A5. He's got no money, but he really wants to have this brilliant car, and he wants me to buy it for him. And I keep reminding him, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So as long as he loves me, in time he'll get an inheritance, and maybe he can buy a car then. <laughs> okay, that was a good response to that one. Um, thanks for that. Um, I want to come now to the quest for unity among believers. This is those who are following Jesus. Now, the reality of life is that people have disagreements um, sometimes. Um, what can we do to heal the division amongst believers that may sometimes occur? What can we do about it, Adrian? Well, I think I, think I would probably read uh, Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. Yeah. And I think it's highlighting that the key to living is being interested and involved in the lives of other people. That'll, yeah. that'll reduce division, okay? Let me read the text. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So that's an example of Jesus. Yeah. He took on mm. the shame of the cross. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I don't think we understand, Mike, how shameful a crucifixion was. Mm. It was, it was uh, the rule that no Roman would ever be crucified. It was, it was something that was involved or something that were applied to the, the outcast of society. Yeah. The thing that Jesus took And that was the me. shame he took on willingly for us. Yeah. Incredible. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, look, even amongst friends and colleagues, um, divisions can occur. Mm. Um, so I want to just still in Luke, um, back in Luke chapter 12, and I'm just going to look, sorry, Luke chapter 12. Let me get this right, folks. Need to. No, Luke 22. Sorry. Luke 22, verse 24. Um, a very interesting statement. Um, this is a description of something that occurred at the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples for the last time prior to dying on that cross. And verse 24 says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered... <laughs> The greatest. Uh, what is happening here, Terry? Mm. The book Desire of Ages actually talks about this scene in detail and, and spends a lot of time identifying the fact that Jesus had actually stepped back and was allowing the disciples to talk amongst themselves. And he was wanting to see if they were going to actually put into practice what he had been teaching them. Mm. Humility, selflessness and service. Uh, but they didn't take up the mantle. And so when he actually took off his outer robe and knelt down to wash their feet, he was really rebuking them for the fact that they were still trying to fight about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Mm. And he decided that the best way to do it was to show them that the greatest in the kingdom was the individual who served. Yes. And so different from everything that we come across in life today, other than in this amazing book. And, th and that's, that's a tremendous story. Thank you. Um, this wasn't the first time, by the way, that this problem arose, Adrian. It's happened before with yes, the disciples. If we, if we go back to Matthew 18, verse 1, they were dealing with the same issue, who's going to be the greatest. And then the interesting thing is, six months later, after this event at Capernaum, the mother of James and John is seeking priority for her sons. That's right. And that really upset the rest of the team. Mm. How dare they think that they ought to have priority over us. And I think that mm. they were wondering why they didn't come up with the concept in the first place, Adrian. So they were upset about the fact that James and John had beaten them to the punch. That's right. <laughs> the position that they wanted is the one that they, they wanted. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's interesting the way this question is put in Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest? in the kingdom of heaven. They give it a spiritual touch. Mm. And uh, they, uh, well, who was? I mean, um, who is the greatest? What, what is yeah. the greatest? When you're looking at this Bible verse here in Matthew 18, verse 1, it, it's, it's interesting that in verse 2, he says, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. That word child in the Greek is actually uh, gender neutral, and the reason that it's not mentioned as a hymn, right, the, the hymn that comes in there later is actually a translation, uh, is that Jesus actually took the lowest of the low, a female child, brought, him into the, brought her into the middle of the group, and then shared with everybody and said, look at this child. Unless you become as humble, as non-entity uh, as, non as this child, you will not actually be able to understand what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, you have to be humble like this child to be the greatest in the kingdom. You have to then put into practice 
what it means. And, and that is who becomes the greatest person. And I think that as human beings and as adults, we have to always remember that it is a child that God has said is our example in trust, in faith, and in action. Uh, and when we become like a child, we actually are now prepared to come into the kingdom. It's fantastic, isn't it? And really very searching. Um, Jesus actually highlighting the values of heaven here, Adrian, isn't he? He is. And Terry said it all. Mm. <laughs> he did. Um, it's a great Bible verse, and we should do a sermon on it someday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you know, it highlights, it highlights beautiful characteristics that make for a very nice person, but not appreciated by the world in general. Yeah. Mm. Our quote, she, she says, Ellen, Ellen White says, simplicity, self-forgetfulness, and confiding love of a child are the characteristics of real greatness. Don't you love that? Yeah. You know, I, I remember going to Memorial Church here at um, Avondale in Australia um, some years ago, and a, a reporter had been along one Sabbath morning, and he wrote about it in the newspaper, and I read the article with much interest, and he talked about the gentle folk there. Mm. And I thought, look, if he'd wanted to compliment these people, he couldn't have, done a, he couldn't have picked better words. Yeah. Mm. I thought it was such a beautiful picture that he painted there. Um, so that must throw some light on what constitutes true greatness, Terry, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think that uh, what he was trying to embody was the fact that people were actually uh, not seeking service for themselves, but wanting to give service to others, and that's embracing the values of who Jesus was in real life. Okay. And that should be the highest calling that each one of us has, is to look out for the neighbor, look out for our community in mm -hmm. a way that we are connected to them, just like Jesus was connected to them. Yes, yes. And going back to that story of the Last Supper, is there some hope in that for us? The story. Well, well, Jesus certainly, uh, as Terry has rightly highlighted, Jesus uh, gave them a demonstration of what the kingdom of heaven was all about. He washed their feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is an incredible story. We could extrapolate on this. Mm -hmm. This is Thursday night. Tomorrow, Jesus is on a cross. And they're debating amongst themselves as to who ought to wash his feet. Yeah. And the one who made the feet, <laughs> the one who made the dirt that was on the feet, mm. was prepared to lay aside the robe, which is the same as laying aside his life, mm. and starts to wash their feet. That must have blown their minds. Thank mm. you. It must have done. Why don't you contrast that just for a moment with the Pharisees that Jesus contended with constantly. Now, they didn't get good press in the Bible. Um, and justifiably so. Um, they'd made a religion out of the externals of life and their hearts had not been touched. Um, Jesus had some serious things to say to them, didn't mm. he, Terry? Yes, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you're hypocrites. And uh, we know that the word hypocrite is actually the word that was used to identify people who were actors. Mm. And so he was actually saying to them that they were acting as if they were great spiritual men and women, mm. but they really weren't. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to actually go in. Okay, so those are really serious words. He must have had some serious things to say to real sinners then, like, you know, murderers and adulterers. Um, he must have said some heavy things to them. Adrian? Uh, no, he was very gracious to the rebels. Yeah. Thief on the cross, insurrectionist, looking for paradise. And Jesus said, I want to tell you this very moment you're there. Mm. Mm. 
Nicodemus, um, not Nicodemus, but also um, Zacchaeus, found him up a tree. He knew where he was. He knew his name. And he was a tax collector. Yeah, and he people. said, salvation's come to your house. Yeah. Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well, all wonderful examples of Jesus' response to people who had been deep in sin. Mm. Okay, okay. So that's really interesting, the contrast with the way he treated people. Those needed to shake up got it, and those who needed encouragement got that. That's yeah. really, really good. Um, what is a hypocrite, Terry? So a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does something completely different. Okay. And I think that if all of us were to actually look into the mirror, mm. we would see hypocrites. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, we, um, my doctor came and told me that uh, I had type 2 diabetes. Well, that w I was right on the edge. And he said that the, what I needed to do was to ensure that I was eating properly. And um, I eat properly most of the time until there is an opportunity to have a croissant. Uh, and that is actually bad for your diabetes. Uh, a bun is bad for your diabetes. And I know what I should do, and I go ahead and do something completely different anyway because of my desire and my ill discipline, and therefore it affects my, my sugar. And, and you know, Paul says in Romans chapter seven, I don't do what I need to do, I keep doing what I shouldn't be doing. Okay. And I think that is the absolute epitome of what it is to be a hypocrite. Okay. Human beings are hypocrites. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can actually get beyond it. Okay, thank you. That's encouraging that you brought in that last part there because we needed to hear that. How did Jesus feel, Adrian, towards these hypocrites? Well, I think if we go back to Matthew 23, which is uh, Jesus' uh, uh, hard word to the Pharisees. The chapter ends in verse 37 through. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent unto you, how often I have longed to gather you together, or gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left unto you desolate. Yes. And of course, there's many parables in which Jesus is making an appeal to the Pharisees. Yeah. I mean, the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother. It was a great, a great lament, wasn't it? Yeah. That he said those things. Look, just in the few moments we've got left, can you summarize for us a take home point? What's the answer to all the division and the hypocrisy and the things that we've been talking about, Terry? Yeah, Mike, we can find it in John chapter 14, verse two, verse four and verse six. Uh, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to a place to prepare it for you. And I think that what we see here in Scripture is that Jesus is clearly saying to his disciples that he is looking forward to actually being with them. And as long as they are willing to give up their restlessness and their inner longings and surrender it to him, opening up their hearts and, and lifting themselves up through the blood of Jesus, that he would actually mold us into his likeness and prepare a place where we're going to feel very much at home. Okay, and, and, and then he says that he is the way, the truth and the life. He's the way to get there. Thank you, gentlemen. We're going to have to leave it there. Appreciate your input today. Um, reality is we can all come to Jesus in our weakness and our brokenness, and he will receive us. He will supply our longings, fill us with true peace, which is what we want. He will make us new from the inside out, folks, and one day he's going to take us to glory with him. Well, we're glad you were watched with us today on Let God Speak. You can see any of our past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. 
teacher's notes can be downloaded there from that site. You can send us an email if you would like to do so. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.